Today's reading is Luke 1, 26 through 45. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. And he came to her and said, Greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, Do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great and will be called the Son of the Most High. And the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom there will be no end. And Mary said to the angel, How will this be, since I am a virgin? And the angel said, answered her, The Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth, in her old age, has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was called barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. And Mary said, Behold, I am the servant of the Lord. Let it be... Let it be to me according to your word. And the angel departed from her. In those days, Mary arose and went with haste into the hill country, into a town in Judah. And she entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leaped in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. And why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord shall come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leaped for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment, a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. King's Quest students who are already on their way, first through fifth graders, you can head to the lobby and find your teachers while the rest of us are seated. I asked Ryan last night, who is my wife, by the way, um, I was like, how are you feeling about reading scripture tomorrow? And she said, well, I get nervous when I read in front of grown-ups. And I was like, you know what, probably not too many people would say it that way, but I bet a lot of people feel that way. She's used to an audience of about 25 five-year-olds, which to me sounds way more intimidating than you guys, but she did great, so thank you. Well, good morning, Grace. Uh, my name is Jake. I am... Uh, married to famed scripture reader Ryan, and I'm also a pastor here at Grace, get to work with our high school students, so it's good to be here with you. Now, as some of you know about me, uh, I am a giant Star Wars nerd. Like, yes, yes, uh, it, it would be embarrassing for you to see how much of my mind is occupied with Star Wars facts that have, have no relevance to this world, but they're there, all right? Now, if you ask me, what is one of the greatest movie openings of all time, maybe unsurprisingly, I would say the 1977 original Star Wars. I think it has, did I get an amen for that? Grace, we've come a long way, let's go. I think that has one of the greatest movie openings of all time, and here's why. 
is because it does exactly what you hope it will do. It lives up to expectations. Okay, there's the opening shot. It opens and we see the rebel alliance, this noble but scrappy group on the run from the evil galactic empire. And they have stolen plans to a planet-destroying machine called the Death Star. Whoa, okay. And then they get captured. And as we go on board the ship, we realize we are in the presence of two of the most important people in all of the galaxy. Darth Vader and Princess Leia. And we get the sense that as they talk and and dialogue, what's going to happen next will decide the fate of trillions of lives. What's happening in this moment will decide the fate of the galaxy. Now, if I was going to make a movie called Star Wars, that's how I would start it, right? That's what we might expect from a movie called Star Wars. But if you know the movie, well, if you don't know the movie, why not? It's time. Watch it. (laughs) But all of a sudden, it takes a little bit of an unexpected turn because we leave this important event with these important people and we follow these two droids, these two robots, as they make their way to this insignificant, irrelevant sand desert planet. And while on that planet, we go to a moisture farm. And on the moisture farm, we meet a a teenage farm boy who lives with his aunt and uncle and who drinks blue milk. Now, I don't know about you, but seeing that, it's like, whoa, wait, wait, this isn't quite the movie I expected. This doesn't feel like Star Wars anymore. Why are we here? Who's this kid? Why is the milk blue, right? Take me back up to the battle. Take me back up to the important people. This isn't the story that we're expecting. And I bring this up for two reasons. First is because I try to shoehorn Star Wars into any sermon I can. So mission accomplished there. But more importantly, maybe a little more spiritually, I think that's exactly what's happening in the passage that we're going to be in today. I think Luke is doing something very similar to what happens in the opening of Star Wars. If you weren't here last week for Pastor Will's sermon, uh, seriously, go back and listen to it. Very, just great sermon, but also an important setup for the rest of the book that's going to follow. And I can't recap everything, but... um, A couple important things to know that that will set us up well for today, and it's this. That scene that Will preached on last week, which opens the book, that starts the way we might expect the story of God coming in the world to go. I mean, for starters, if you remember back, think where it starts. It starts in the temple. Okay, The temple is the most significant place to the Jewish people. It's the place where God's physical presence is actually said to dwell. And as we go in the temple, we meet a priest. That means of of the 12 tribes of Israel, he is from the tribe specially selected to stand between God and the people. And of all the different priests, Zechariah is the one who has been selected to go into the temple. Not everybody gets to do that. And as he's in there, an angel appears. 
And the angel tells him that, Zechariah, even though you and your wife Elizabeth are old and have never been able to conceive, God's going to do a miracle. You're going to conceive. Elizabeth will give birth to a baby boy who will be used in significant ways by God. Now that's how you start a story about God coming into the world to visit his people. And then we come to today's passage. And unfortunately, I think it's a passage we're all very familiar with. But I think Luke's doing something here. I think what we're about to go into is actually supposed to be completely unexpected. As we start off this journey in the life of Jesus, right here in the intro, Luke is sending a message, and he's saying, if you're going to hang with us as we go on this journey, you are going to need to learn to expect the unexpected. Expect the unexpected. Because things might not look exactly as you are thinking they will. And so let's jump into this passage today. I want to show you some of the ways that this story is just so unexpected. And my hope is that as we go through it, I had to think of my goal for us today in in a picture. It's this. Just let go of some of our own expectations. And be open to the unexpectedness of how God might want to work in our lives and in our church. So let's jump in, okay? We'll be in Luke 1, uh, verse 26, and I always forget the page number. I think it's page 855, but uh, yes. All right, page 855, verse 26. Here's the first thing that we're going to see. You can go back one slide. is that God works through unexpected people. God works through unexpected people. Verse 26, in the sixth month, so it's the sixth month of Elizabeth's pregnancy, so this scene's taking place six months later. In the sixth month, the angel Gabriel was sent from God to a city of Galilee named Nazareth, to a virgin betrothed to a man whose name was Joseph of the house of David. And the virgin's name was Mary. Now, I know we hear that, and it's like, well, duh, the story has to go this way, right? Jesus grows up in Nazareth, so of course the angel's going to go to Nazareth. And I mean, Mary is the mother of Jesus, so of course the angel has to go to Mary. That's just how the story goes. But again, let's try to forget that for a moment. Because the story didn't have to go this way. It's how God chose it to go. Let's pretend like we're in the first century and we're watching this movie unfold in front of us. Because here's the deal. Actually, none of this makes sense. I mean, for starters, Nazareth. If, if the temple was everything that was significant, Nazareth was everything that was insignificant. Nothing about Nazareth makes sense. Uh, it, read the Old Testament. You will see that there are so, 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 so many names of places listed. 
It's like it's, you're reading like Google Earth or something. They're like every location ever dreamt of is somewhere named for some reason in the Old Testament. Do you know what city, what town is never named a single time? It's Nazareth. It's hard to be that irrelevant. Okay, Nazareth's like the type of place who even the people who live there have never heard of it. Uh, for my, my high school students, this is, this is Radiator Springs pre-Lightning McQueen. Okay, nobody knows about this place. And if you did know about it, you probably hadn't heard the best things. Why Nazareth? But even more unexpected than the place is actually the person, Mary. Because if, if there was some sort of ideal person who represented significance, Mary is the opposite of that person. I mean, for starters, Mary's a woman. And in that day and age, it truly was a man's world. To be a man was everything. Legal rights, rights to an opinion, a seat at the table. And Mary's not that. She's a woman. Mary's not just a woman, though. Mary is a young woman. It says she's betrothed to be wed, which most, I mean, we don't know for sure, but most likely that means she was between 12 to 14 years old. I know we hear that and we're like, call CPS, like that is not good. Yeah, it, it's weird. It's crazy. Um, people died a lot sooner then, so people grew up a lot quicker. It's not necessarily a good thing. It's just the way that it was. But Mary is young. And if, if age brings a sense of dignity and respect, Mary doesn't have that. In fact, very likely, Mary would have just been looked at as a child. And Mary has no credentials to her name, right? She's not a priest. Uh, the fact that she lives in Nazareth and, and some other hints in Scripture suggests she was probably poor. She's not someone who has money to just be used. Very well likely, too, uh, Mary wasn't like the, the top student in her class. She was an honor roll. Mary probably couldn't even read. We've just come from Zechariah in the temple, and now we're here, and I think we're supposed to be asking, why? Why is the angel here with her? I wasn't expecting this. This person in this place just seems so insignificant. But as we see, God is going to use this seemingly insignificant person for the most significant work. Verse 28, and he, that's the angel Gabriel, he came to her, to Mary, and said, greetings, O favored one, the Lord is with you. But she was greatly troubled at the saying and tried to discern what sort of greeting this might be. And the angel said to her, do not be afraid, Mary, for you have found favor with God. And behold, you will conceive in your womb and bear a son, and you shall call his name Jesus. He will be great 
and will be called the Son of the Most High, and the Lord God will give to him the throne of his father, David, and he will reign over the house of Jacob forever. And of his kingdom, there will be no end. That sounds kind of significant, right? I know you see parents who like put their bumper sticker like, my kid was student of the month at how about, my son is God of the universe, right? There is something really significant here that Mary was just told. The Messiah, the, the person that the Jewish people have been waiting for for hundreds of years. In fact, the Savior, whether or not it knows it, the Savior that the world's been waiting for is coming. His name's Jesus. And Mary, you're going to give birth to him. It's hard to top that in significance. And I love the fact that, you know what, there were probably so many other people, so many other women Mary's age who God could have used, who had money, who had prestige, who had some sort of credentials, maybe who lived closer to the temple. But God sees Mary. God favors Mary. God takes the most unexpected, seemingly insignificant person, and that's the one God chooses to put at the center of his story. God works through unexpected people. A little, little bit different, but similar. It makes me think of this um, football player who you may have heard of, Tom Brady. Uh, I was hoping a collective groan would go out there. I don't know if we like or don't like Tom Brady here. Anyway... We know Tom Brady, right? I don't think it's controversial to say arguably the greatest football player ever. Okay. <laughs> I'm more of a baseball guy. I don't really know. But So you might think, well, there has always been great expectations around Tom Brady, right? His name has always been significant. Well, I learned this week, in the year 2000, the year he was drafted, might surprise you to learn he was not the first person picked. In fact, he wasn't the second person picked. He wasn't the tenth person picked. If my sources, Google, are correct, <laughs> Tom Brady was the 199th person drafted. I think it's fair to say there, there probably weren't too many expectations of this Tom Brady at this point. His name probably wasn't all that significant. To hear someone say, hey, that's going to be maybe the greatest player of all time, that would be a little bit unexpected. But I think six rings would argue that, that that's the truth. And I wonder if that's kind of how we feel sometimes. As if there are 198 people that God would use before he ever comes to us. In a world filled with Zechariahs of, of people who, you know, they're important because of, of where they are or what they do or who they are, it's just so easy to feel like a Mary. Why would God ever use me? And, and there's so many, so many ways that I think we can disqualify ourselves. Like, well, I mean, I, I know God uses people, but me, I mean, I'm not that outgoing, kind of a wallflower. 
I'm awkward. I start a conversation, I get two sentences in, and then I don't know what to say, and then it's just weird. I'm not funny. I'm not charismatic. I I don't have this super compelling life. I post a picture on Instagram, and my mom likes it, and that's about it. You know, maybe I'm not the smartest person. If I can get a 2.5 GPA, oh, praise God, I've made it. I don't know the Bible like other people do. I get to Leviticus in my reading plan, and then it, I just don't move any further. If somebody asked me a question about the Bible, I wouldn't know the first thing to say. I don't look the right way, I don't talk the right way, I'm not this, I'm not that. There's so many reasons why we can assume we are the most unexpected person. And if that's you, good. Because I have some confidence that you're probably the most expected person for God to use. Because God loves working through unexpected people. God loves working through people who the world says, him? Her? You had 198 other people and you went to them? Yes. That's how God works. And so if that's you, I wonder, what would it just look like to just believe that for a week? To be open to the fact that God might want to use you. Maybe you've been like, I I just want a Bible study to start at work or at my school, and like, man, it would be great if someone came along and did that. I would happily join. Maybe it's you. Who cares you haven't read the whole Bible yet? God can work through you. A little bit of a shameless plug here, but, you know, maybe you always hear like, well, they need helpers in in high school and middle school, Um, but not me. I mean, I'm... I'm not cool. I'm not relevant. I don't know what's hip. Okay? We would be delighted to have you (laughs) because God works through unexpected people. Maybe there's been some sort of burden on your heart. Um, I don't know, something like you're aware of the fact that there are teenagers in Long Beach who are homeless, and you're like, man, I wish somebody would start an initiative to take care of and to love those people. But God would have to raise up a real go-getter, someone who's on top of their stuff. Maybe he wants to raise up you. Because God works through unexpected people. God works through you. Here's the second thing we see as we move forward. It's that God works through unexpected people and God works in unexpected ways. God works in unexpected ways. Look at verse 34. So the angel tells this, you know, this big news, significant news to Mary. And she asks a question. Verse 34. Mary said to the angel, how will this be since I am a virgin? How will this be? I think that's the question that Luke is wanting us to ask. Because if you've noticed in this little passage, this is the third time the word virgins come up. In fact, you notice before Mary's name is even given, she's twice referred to as a virgin. And I'm sorry if I'm pressing a conversation that hasn't happened at home yet. Uh, Luke wrote it, so direct your emails to him. 
But I think what God's doing through this is saying, look, don't miss this. There's something about this that doesn't make sense. There's something about this that's unexpected. There's something about this that's impossible. And, and God's already been doing miraculous stuff in the book of Luke. I mean, remember last week, again, Zechariah, Elizabeth, an old couple unable to, to conceive, and miraculously they're given the ability. That's a miracle, no doubt about it. But it's not an unprecedented miracle. That's actually happened before. In fact, read Scripture, you see it's happened multiple times before. In one sense, you could say, it's kind of expected. Of course you would work that way, God. You love to do that. That's such a God thing to do. I get it. But read the Old Testament. You know what God has never done before? You know what miracle has never occurred in the history of God's people? A virgin without a man giving birth to a child. That's new. That's unexpected. In fact, again, that's impossible. And if you're a Bible nerd, you're like, well, wait, but there's prophecies about that. That's true. I wonder if people actually knew how to interpret those prophecies. I think it'd be pretty easy to say, oh, a virgin will conceive. And I've been to health class, so I know how that's going to happen. Only to realize, no, 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 God actually means this. But that's impossible. And I think that's the point, is God's trying to show us this can't make sense unless he's behind it. Look at verse 35. That's basically what the angel is saying. The angel answered her, the Holy Spirit will come upon you, and the power of the Most High will overshadow you. Therefore, the child to be born will be called Holy, the Son of God. And behold, your relative Elizabeth in her old age has also conceived a son. And this is the sixth month with her who was barren. For nothing will be impossible with God. Nothing will be impossible. See, God's working in an unexpected way. God's working in an impossible way. In a way that from a worldly, logical, biological point of view just can't happen. And that's the point. This only makes sense if God is the one doing it. And look at Mary's response. Let's go back to her question. She says to the angel, how will this be? And I was always mad growing up because I'm like, hold on a second. If you remember last week, uh, Zechariah also asked a similar question and the angel put him on mute for nine months. Like, and, you know, nothing happens to Mary? Like, what gives? But if you notice, I think their questions are a little bit different. Uh, Zechariah's question was, how can I know this will happen? Jake Barnes' translation, he's saying, I'm not sure I can accept what you're saying, Mr. Angelic Being. It doesn't quite line up with what I can understand to be true, so you're going to have to prove it to me if you want me to accept it. His question comes from a foundation of unbelief. Mary's comes from a, a foundation of belief. We'll get there in a moment, but when she visits Zechariah and Elizabeth, 
Elizabeth says over her, blessed is she who believed. Mary believes. Her question isn't, how can this happen? Subtle difference, but it's, how will this happen? I believe you, Mr. Angel. I believe this is going to happen. I believe God is going to do what he says he's going to do. Just let me in on the process. Even more significantly is what she says at the end. Verse 38. And Mary said, Behold, I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. I am a servant of the Lord. Let it be to me according to your word. In essence, Mary's saying, I am willing, I am available, use me. I might not understand how exactly this is going to work. It might seem impossible, but I am willing. I am available. Use me. This very well might mean that my, my upcoming marriage to Joseph and the financial stability that's going to come with that is now probably in jeopardy, but Lord, I am willing. I'm available. Use me. Actually, more than just my marriage, my life is probably in jeopardy. Because adultery was a sin punishable by death, and I'm going to be a pregnant, unmarried woman. But Lord, I am willing, I am available, use me. That's what God is asking of all of us, is to be willing, to be available, and just to say, Lord, use me. Much less miraculous way, um, but still a cool story. It makes me think of two of my really good buddies, Joel Absalom and Tim Tyler. Um, we, we know and love them here. And I, I think it was about a couple years ago, they, they felt this prompting from God to start a worship ministry for young adults, which was like, well, that's cool. That's not unexpected, right? That seems like something God might want to do. But when you know their situation, it, it was a little bit unexpected, a little bit impossible. I mean, for starters, so they're, they're, they feel called to start this worship ministry together, but they don't have any, like, formal space to do it. Okay, it's not like they have some chapel and, you know, with, with lights and, and equipment and sound system and speakers. They don't have that. Okay, they have a backyard to use. Okay. Now, you might think, well, if you're going to start a worship ministry, you probably want to have a band, right? I mean, if that's the whole focus, you, you might want a band, like maybe someone to play piano or bass or, you know, drums, something. No band. They have no, no musical equipment except the two guitars that they own. Here's maybe the most impossible part of it, is neither of them knew how to lead worship. <laughs> Joel had had a little bit of training here and there, and, and maybe, Robin, you can confirm this. Tim had never led worship before, except, according to him, a couple times for his family. <laughs> so no, no formal training. And, and if I'm them, I'm probably thinking, okay, God, maybe that's from you, but maybe first you could make a space for it, 
Um, I'm going to try to go, you know, connect and find some people. And you know what? I'm going to put this off for maybe a year because, like, it would be really great for me to actually learn how to sing and, and play guitar well before I lead people so that I don't embarrass myself, right? And this is why I love them. Joel and Tim did not do that. In so many words, they just said, Lord, we're willing, we're available, use us. And now, some two-ish years later, somewhere around 70 different young adults have been blessed by that ministry. And as one of them, I can tell you God has worked there in a powerful way. The right notes aren't always hit, especially at the beginning. And there's something that is even more beautiful about it because it's just people getting together to worship Jesus, even if it doesn't always sound perfect. God used Tim and Joel in a powerful way because they were just willing and available, even if it was unexpected, even if it didn't quite make sense at the start. And so, Grace, I I wonder, maybe individually, but I wonder as a church, Are there any expectations that we need to let go of so that we can be willing and available to God? I'm not going to sit on this long because there's so many many potential answers to that, but I wonder, is there anything in your heart that you're like, well, I don't really think God's going to move in a significant way until this happens? Until, you know, there's more people on a Sunday morning until there's, there's more active ministries happening. I think when God's going to move it, it's going to look exactly like this because that's what God's done before. And there's just certain ways he might not move in our church. But friends, our calling isn't to expect or to tell God what he can or can't do. It's to be willing and available for whatever he's going to do. Because God works in unexpected ways. One more point, we'll finish out on this. So God works through unexpected people, God works in unexpected ways, and God brings unexpected joy. Put it a little more precisely, Jesus brings unexpected joy. So I won't really unpack the text for the sake of time, but so the angel leaves Mary, and if I'm Mary, I'm like, oh, that's it? There's like no more guidance you're gonna give me? It's crazy. And we see that, verse 39, Mary decides with haste, that means quickly, to go and visit her relative Elizabeth. And scripture doesn't say why, but my guess is she's like, well, something crazy has happened with me, something crazy has happened with her, nobody understands crazy like crazy, so I'm just going to go and be with her, right? I don't know who else to go to. And so here this uh, unwed, pregnant teenager makes probably about an 80 to 90 mile journey, apparently on her own, Times have changed, amen. And and Scripture gives us no sense of where she's at as she makes this journey. And we don't know. I mean, for all we know, maybe Mary was just like excited. She's like, this is great, like I'm God's mom, I can't wait to talk about it. Maybe. But I wonder if that wasn't the case. I mean, sure, she's excited, she's filled with wonder, but I wonder if there was any anxiety I wonder if there's any question in her mind how she was going to be received. I wonder what she was expecting. What if they don't believe me? 
What if I look like a fool when I say this? Even worse, what if they do believe me, but they don't believe it's from God? After all, she's going to the house of a priest, someone who obeys the Levitical law. That puts Mary in a little bit of danger. I wonder what she was expecting as she made this journey. I don't think she was expecting what happens next. Verse 40. And she, Mary, entered the house of Zechariah and greeted Elizabeth. And when Elizabeth heard the greeting of Mary, the baby leapt in her womb. And Elizabeth was filled with the Holy Spirit. And she exclaimed with a loud cry, Blessed are you among women, and blessed is the fruit of your womb. Why is this granted to me that the mother of my Lord should come to me? For behold, when the sound of your greeting came to my ears, the baby in my womb leapt for joy. And blessed is she who believed that there would be a fulfillment of what was spoken to her from the Lord. That's unexpected. Mary walks into the room, and sorry for the health terminology here, but a six-month-old fetus, a baby who hasn't even been born yet, who has never seen the sun, who doesn't really have any cognitive ability, is so filled with joy at the presence of Jesus, he leaps in the womb. I don't even know how that's possible, but it happens. And on the other end of the spectrum, we have an old woman who, yes, things have started to go in her favor as of late, but up until that moment, not the case. This is a woman who had lived a lifetime of shame, a lifetime of disgrace, a lifetime of unanswered prayer, a lifetime that I wonder was filled with the temptation towards cynicism. But when Jesus enters the room, she is filled with the Spirit. And she exclaims, Jesus as Lord. Mary couldn't have expected the joy that would be waiting her when she entered the room. But praise God, she did not let her fear of what might be there get in the way of her entering. Because when she entered, joy is what met her there. And I wonder, are there expectations that get in the way of us bringing Jesus into a space? Do we not make the journey that Mary made because we're like, I know how this is going to go and it's not going to go well? I mean, maybe it's, uh, you know what, this person, they think so different than me. They have a different worldview. For me to talk about Jesus and the Bible, it's just not going to make sense. It's going to seem stupid and irrelevant. I'm not going to bring Jesus into that space. Maybe it's a relative who has been hurt by the church. I'm not going to talk to them about Jesus because to do that, it's just going to bring up bad emotions. They don't want to hear about him. That chapter of their life is closed. Or maybe it's someone, look, their lifestyle is so different. <laughs> to, to, to try to share Jesus with them, it's just, ugh. They're, they're from a different world. This thing can't possibly work. 
And you know, I don't want to sugarcoat it. Jesus wasn't always received well. And, and he tells you, if you are an actual follower of his, there will be persecution. You will not always be met with joy. I don't want to pretend that's not the case, but I don't want to pretend it's always the case. Because sometimes when we enter a room, what awaits us when we bring Jesus is unexpected joy. And it's not for us to try and say, well, that's impossible. God can't do that. It's not going to work. No, like Mary, our calling is show up and just see what God is going to do. Because he might already be doing something miraculous in that person's life, and they just need to hear the name of Jesus. And everything will change. I know that we are postmodern, post church, we're post everything, but the gospel is still good news. Jesus is still Lord, and Jesus still brings joy. So bring him with you as you go. So today what we've seen is Luke is saying to us, God works in unexpected ways. Through unexpected people, uh, sorry, through unexpected ways, and unexpected joy is, is sometimes just around the corner. And so as we move forward in the book of Luke, let's keep this in our mind that we're going to need to expect the unexpected. And as we go out, let's be a people who expect the unexpected, who don't say, God, you can't do that in my life, you can't do that in the church, you can't do that with this person, because you know what? God's going to do what he's going to do, and let's be willing and available when he does, Grace. Thanks be to God. Would you pray with me? Father, I thank you just for the way you are, <laughs> that you are the type of God who chooses a Mary. You're the type of God who delights in doing what is impossible and honestly sometimes even seems illogical. And you are the type of God who's capable of meeting a child in the womb or someone filled with a life of difficulty with joy. And so, God, I just pray that you would help us to open up our hands, help us to become um, individuals and a church that doesn't tell you how you get to work, but is just ready for you to do whatever you're going to do. God, I pray that you would do powerful things with us and with our church. In Jesus' name, amen.